This is the Leading Second Podcast. We're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to season three of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart. So excited and honored to have you with us here today. It's Thursday morning when we're releasing this, a fresh episode for you that I pray will help you if you are on a church team in any capacity. And if you find yourself leading from the middle, then Leading Second is for you. I just believe if you're here, you share our desire to want to be an uncommon church builder. So welcome home and welcome to this space today. And speaking of home, before we get into today's conversation, I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, to join us on our Facebook group called the Leading Second Collective. This is the place where our tribe does life, where we interact, we talk, we discuss. We also have some special uh, collective-only events uh, taking place regularly, uh, sometimes weekly, And I think you're going to want to be a part of it. I think it will add value uh, to your life. I think it will also just let you know in kind of our day of social distancing and social isolation that you're not alone, that there are actually leaders all over the nation, all over North America and all over the world that are um, walking alongside of you, trying to build church and um, do everything we can for Christ. So join us, uh, search for the Leading Second Collective on Facebook, and we would love to have you a part of our tribe. So today we have a great conversation, uh, actually probably a two for one uh, conversation here today with my good friend, Noah Heron. Noah is on the team at Neighborhood Church in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And uh, first up today, we're going to talk about his book. He just wrote his first book and have a discussion on viral Jesus, how one man broke the algorithm forever. You know, so much of church leadership right now, it seems like it's just focused on the now, the now, like we're trying to find the next post or thought that will go viral, you know, and trying to increase our followers to 10,000. So we have swipe up ability or something like that. You know, uh, we, we ask ourselves, how do we kill it on our next event? Or how do I make this sermon I'm writing the greatest thing people have ever heard or whatever we try to say. And um, I'm not supposing that our motives are always bad, you know, when we have these thoughts, but I've sometimes just found myself wondering, is any of that the goal? Is there not just something higher that we as leaders in the kingdom of God should be focused on? And I feel like I found that voice in Noah's book, Viral Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, first of all, to get the book and read it. It'll really bless you. And uh, we're going to talk about that today here in just a minute. I also talked to Noah about the realities of generations and being a Gen Z leader. You know, we live in this day of labels for generations. Of course, we, you know, we have OK Boomer and we have, you know, Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z. I'm on the the dividing line between Gen X and millennial kind of makes me a half breed and Noah, you know, kind of fesses up. He's on the dividing line between, you know, millennial and Gen Z and feels like a half breed. And, you know, I'm not sure I love everything about these labels and the ideas that those labels bring up in our minds. Uh, But the game of leadership does change for every generation. And if you're a Gen Z leader, or you lead a team of them, maybe today's conversation will just help us to be sharp and effective in leading a new generation of leaders and a new generation of Christ followers called Gen Z. So, so much to unpack here today. This episode is going to be way too long, uh, but I couldn't stop the recording when we were doing it. So uh, without further ado today, here is uh, a couple conversations I had with Noah Heron. What's up, Noah? It's so good to talk with you today. How are you guys? I am doing so good. Good to be here, Brandon. I'm pumped. Man, we love you guys so much. And um, I love what God is doing in your life. I I love, uh, I just love the spirit of your life. 
Um, you have become, um, at least I've decided you're going to be my friend. Uh, I don't know if, if, if the, if the opposite is true yet, we'll see. But, um, I just decided I was going to stalk you and, and make you be my friend, uh, until we were, but man, I've just loved connecting with you over the past year and love what God is doing in your life and in your ministry. Uh, maybe update us. You were on the podcast last season, but maybe update us, uh, for just a minute on what God has, uh, done in your life the last 12 months or so you've moved. So we moved uh, right at the beginning of this global pandemic. What an adventure. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia in the middle of April um, to go on staff at uh, my parents' church, which has been such a blessing. There's been so many really hard things about the past few months, but um, one of the real big blessings we feel like God's allowed us to have is being close to family and, and getting a lot of really quality time with our with our family. And so... Um, my wife Maddie and I were now on staff at a, uh, a church called Neighborhood Church, and um, we're just north of Atlanta. Super excited to be here. We are kind of in a teaching role where we're teaching once a month on Sundays, and um, we're also overseeing our young adult ministry here, um, and uh, just kind of getting back on the road a little bit, kind of like you are, and um, preaching the gospel at, at different places. But it's been awesome. We're super excited about the church here, super excited about um, what God's doing here. Uh, we just launched in-person gatherings again this past Sunday. So uh, I'm thriving right now, man. I, I could not be happier. That's so good. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a season, right? Uh, I remember it was earlier this year uh, bumping into you at the airport and, um, that just feels like a lifetime ago, you know, like we, like there was, we had like a flow and, and, um, like both kind of in, in our normal. And then I think it was like a month later and life just crashed, you know? So it's, it, it's been quite a year and, um, you have written a book also during this season that I'm super excited about viral Jesus, and, um, man, I'm just so excited you wrote this, uh, subtitle being, uh, how one man broke the algorithm forever. I just have to say, and I, I wanted to talk about your book for just a minute today. I, I love your perspective on Jesus. You, you personally refresh me with, with, um, just, just how you approach scripture and the gospel. And I love your perspective and I loved talking with you. Uh, while you were writing the book and you, you know, bouncing ideas off and I man, just love your heart for young leaders and your desire to see them fall in love with Jesus in the same way that you have, I guess, just unpack the book for us for a minute. And why, why did you write this book and what are you hoping the impact will be on people who read it? Well, first of all, the book wouldn't have happened without those um, several sessions that we had where you basically were my book consultant without knowing it. Um, so thank you for making it happen. But um, man, embarrassing, embarrassingly enough, the book came out of a, a real frustration with me personally. Um, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, so much of what gave me life was taken away. You know, the, the preaching the gospel, the being around people, the, the raising up leaders. And um, I was really left with family and Jesus. And, you know, for me, I would love to say that that was enough for me. Um, but when the pandemic started, I found myself really struggling with feeling like I was uh, enough, feeling like I was doing enough, feeling like I was happy with what my day-to-day -day looked like. And, and I really wasn't. And um, I found myself spending a lot of time on social media, a lot of time getting frustrated with different things on social media. And um, really that first month of quarantine, the Holy Spirit began to convict me about this idea of going viral um, and what that really looks like. This idea of... Uh, of what it looks like to live a life that matters. And so um, really the crux of the book is that 
Um, there's so many people who are trying to go viral in life, whether it's on social media, whether it's just being successful as possible in life. Um, but the idea of this book is that you can be famous or successful on earth, but unknown in heaven. And so uh, I think God wants us to be famous and successful in heaven, in the kingdom of God, so that we can be effective on earth. And so um, it's really a book all about going viral in heaven, li living in the kingdom of God while we're on this earth. <clears throat> I think it's really interesting that when Jesus was on earth, he talked about the kingdom of God more than any other subject. Uh, and it's something that we don't preach about a lot. We don't talk about a lot. Um, he talked a lot about our goals and desires being how we actually get to experience the kingdom of God. Are our goals and our desires aligned with a, uh, a godly um, sense of goals and desires? And when they are, we get to experience um, the kingdom of God here on earth. And so I started thinking, man, what would it look like for a generation who's been told that your goals and desires should be all about worldly success, all about earthly success for that generation to switch the, the flip the switch and say, you know what? I want to build the kingdom of God on earth. I want my prize to be Jesus and watch what that does to our country, to our world. And so that's what the book's about. It's about taking our goals and desires, aligning them with God's and watching God do the rest. So, so good. And, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I firmly believe, and, and yet Jesus' primary message was the kingdom of God. It, it, it was his message when he taught. Every single time he taught, it was the kingdom of God is like this and like that. And I think sometimes in our modern preaching, we've strayed a bit away from that. And we don't need to get into all that. But I love that you recentered younger leaders, the recentered all of us on Jesus and his primary message. I couldn't agree with you more. Do you feel like you see younger leaders right now? Just un unpack this with me a little bit more. Yeah. Do you feel like you see younger leaders right now um, too temporally or earthly focused? And and I think that the, the tragedy of it is it's in the name of Jesus and with decent uh, motive. I mean, we, we just want to honor God. I think I'm not going to paint everybody as evil. You know, we just want to honor God trying to make it a ministry, but somewhere along the way, the focus becomes temporal and earthly rather than eternal and in the kingdom, because sometimes the kingdom is completely upside down. I mean, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I think a real practical example of something that God put on my heart as I was writing this was um, there's that famous leadership saying that what's celebrated gets repeated. And right now in the capital C church, the people who are celebrated are the ones with the microphone. Um, you know, they're the ones who pastor the biggest churches and I'm so thankful for them. You know, uh, these big name pastors who are doing amazing things for God and, and we celebrate them so much. And sometimes we forget celebrating the door holders and the people who, uh, actually Jesus would probably be a door holder more likely than he would be the traveling evangelist that we somehow have him in our heads as being. And so I think what that's led to in the next generation is we look at those people and we say, that's the goal, right? And really something that's a really good thing, someone who's being and answering the call of God on their life, when that becomes our goal, that's actually a very worldly goal. Um, the success driven model of the world begins to creep into the church. And uh, what I've learned is that weak and wor worldly goals lead to weak Christians. And so when our goal is to increase numbers and, and be on the platform and, and to be seen as a leader and all these things, we actually limit the impact and the depth of impact that we can make as followers of Jesus. In, in contrast, would be someone who is faithful to their local church, is faithful in serving and saying, you know what? I don't care if I ever get celebrated by the rest of church. As long as I'm making disciples, as long as Jesus is my prize, I'm going to trust that he's going to do what he is going to do in my life. And it's going to be better than I can imagine. Okay. So you're getting me really fired up about this. And this was not supposed to be our whole conversation, by the way, today, we have like a whole another part of the conversation plan, but 
I love this so, so much. I, I wonder about the local church right now if the entire game isn't changing. That uh, I, I want to see the church as big as possible. So I do. Yeah. I love churches growing. But I do wonder if somewhere along the way our our target got off. I just I just wonder the the Great Commission is not about going into all the world and filling rooms. Mm-hmm. It's going into all the world and making disciples. Yeah, and with a kingdom worldview, you know, with with the message of the kingdom. And I I just wonder if we just got a little sideways on it here or there. And I think. I guess just thank you for your book, because I think God's going to raise up some voices in this season to return us back to home base and and recenter leaders in this season. Absolutely. I, I think it's already happening. We're seeing it um, all, all over the world. We're, we're seeing uh, the, the thing about Jesus is like he did not become like, like his goal was not to become more, it was to become less. And yet his name is the most viral name of all time. Um, I think that this is, this is what God was blowing my mind with all of quarantine. Uh, I think I've been convicted in the past of having an impressive ministry that looked nothing like Jesus, right? Like that's just the reality of seasons of my life, an impressive ministry. People wanted to come to it to see how we're, how we were reaching college students and we were not making disciples. We were not, um, we were not following the the great commission, the great commandment And, and it was impressive, but it looked nothing like Jesus. And then I had a thought and it was that, would we have even been impressed by Jesus's ministry when he was on earth? Like, like think about it. When he got to the end of his ministry, there was only 120 people there. I know a whole lot more impressive church plants than only having 120 people, right? Like he only spoke to large crowds three or four times. Um, so he wasn't this, you know, uh, church planning extraordinaire. He probably wouldn't have spoken at your conference. He probably would have invited other people. And yet, his ministry was so impactful that we are talking about it thousands of years later. It went from 120 people to hundreds of thousands, millions and millions of people who follow him. And I think really this time has been a reset for leaders to say, man, you know what? Maybe real impact is not about being impressive. It's about making disciples. It's about um, developing the few people right in front of me instead of looking for more people to add, you know? And, and I think we're seeing that all over the country, house groups popping up and leaders raising up and, and all of these different uh, really exciting things that I think are going to last a lot longer than a, than a crowded room, as you say. Can I tell you something that I feel like God told me last summer when I was in Israel, Hmm. we were in Capernaum, which is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum is the site of like, like 75% of Jesus recorded miracles. Like it's, it's biblically uh, huge. It's biblically significant. You know, Sermon on the Mount was right up, was right up on the hill behind Capernaum. I mean, it's, it's, it's an, it's, it was Jesus ministry headquarters, if you will. But when we walked through the gates into kind of first century Capernaum, I was overwhelmed and in a very different way than I expected. I was overwhelmed with how small Capernaum was. Like, like my, my church's central campus parking lot is bigger than Capernaum. It, it was tiny. And um, I'm, I'm walking around thinking this is the site of 75% of Jesus recorded miracles. Like this is it. And it's incredible. You see, you see the house where the man was lowered through the roof, Jesus healed. I mean, you you see the synagogue where Jesus taught It's incredible. It's just small. Yeah. And what I felt the Holy spirit convict me of was this thought. What if Jesus ministry was more about being effective than being big? Mm -hmm. Because Capernaum, while small Capernaum was regionally strategic. Capernaum was the site that people would have to travel through. And because it was rural, people would have to stay there overnight often on their travels. So you hear in the gospel, the news of Jesus spread far and wide. That's because he was perfectly situated to do so. He went viral. It just didn't, it didn't happen with the big rooms. In in fact, he went to Jerusalem at times, but he never spent a night in Jerusalem. 
he always stayed outside the city walls. And so it's like he visited big, but he lived in small. And I just loved that thought. Like the Holy Spirit really got ahead of me that what, and I actually felt last summer and now it's even more true now. I actually felt the Holy Spirit say to me, what if ministry in the future is going to be more about being effective than being big? And then we go through quarantine and I'm thinking right now it's more about being effective. It's about deepening some wells. So I just, I guess I just really love where you're at with this. And if you're, if you were to talk to a leader right now and just speak to their heart, you know, someone who's out there just wants to honor God in ministry, wants to do everything they can make their life count. I guess just out of this season of your life, what would you want to say to their heart and in their spirit to refocus and realign them? Man, I, I think, um, you know, we're, you and I both, we're, we're surrounded by leaders all the time, like great leaders, you know, not just, just great leaders. And I think that sometimes we can get caught up in the strategy of being a leader, the strategy of, of reaching people. And, and, and it's all with great intention and, and all that stuff. But I'm just absolutely convinced that the greatest thing that you could do, your greatest strategy could be someone who is to be someone who is rooted in Christ, like so anchored in Jesus. Like it, I think if we spent half the amount of time that we spend trying to strategize, trying to be, become better leaders, half of that time and truly um, pursuing the presence of God. I think every conversation that we have with leaders, with people, they would see Jesus in us so much. Like, like you, when you experience the presence of God in a true way, it is so undeniably attractive. And I just, I've had conversations with different people and I left and I'm like, oh my goodness, like they have been with Jesus. And that's what I'm chasing. I am chasing such an authentic relationship with Jesus that people don't want to be a part of my ministry or follow me because of, of the mottos I've created or the culture that I uh, you know, have on the walls, but because of the presence of God that they experience when they're around me. And I think we see God using leaders like that all around our country right now. And it really goes, it goes back to the point of this book. And it's, it's that when you make Jesus the prize of your life, you will see God do only things that he can get the credit for. I want to live a life that Noah can't get the credit for. I, I want to be a husband that Noah can't get the credit for. I want to be a leader, a pastor that Noah can't get the credit for. And that happens through a genuinely deep relationship with Jesus. Well, man, I think you're going to see God do all that through you. I love your heart. I love your spirit about this. Um, thank you for writing this book. Tell us quick. Uh, where can people get the book and, and maybe mention, you know, what churches can do if they want to provide this to young adults, youth, that sort of thing. Yeah. So you can get it on amazon.com. Uh, just search viral Jesus by Noah Heron and um, it's available there. And then um, something that we're trying to do is we're trying to help uh, churches, youth groups, young adult groups. Um, it's really a book for, for anyone. And so if you are a part of some type of church or nonprofit organization and you'd like to get it, um, we're offering it pretty much at the cost to us in producing the book. And so um, if you're interested in that, you can just email me directly at d noah10 at gmail.com. And um, I will get you as many copies as you need at a, at a cheaper rate. And so I'm um, super excited. Hope it's helpful. I love that, man. Really generous of you. Amazon.com. I love that. Thank you for clarifying that for us. <laughs> in case someone was confused. Um, well, hey, today I want to have a conversation with you on, let's just call it the non-sexy title here. Let's call it being a Gen Z leader. First of all, I miss the millennial cutoff by 17 days. Uh, if you go, I go by the definition of millennials starting January, those born after January 1st, 1981, and I'm December 1980. So my school year is kind of cut down the middle, and I've always considered myself what they call a zennial with an X at the beginning, you know, part Gen X, part millennial. Well, you're kind of the same way. I think with, with the whole Gen Z thing, I mean, you're, you're kind of right at the cutoff if I understand, right? Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm right on the line between uh, millennial and Gen Z. So I kind of thought it could be interesting just to talk generate. I'm, this is one of my greatest passions is talking about generations. And I believe God raises up generations for specific purposes. 
and I, I believe we can get too label oriented. So I want to avoid that today, but I think it's important to understand the times and the seasons and understand, um, what God is doing and who he's raising up in moments and just understanding the mission field that we're, you know, that we're trying to reach. So I think this is important. And I think the first thing I'd want a pastor or someone listening to understand is that millennials, first of all, are almost 40. Mm. I am turning 40 later this year. So, so we're, we're getting old. <laughs> we're, you know, like, like some probably have kids that are in like junior high now. Scary. Um, Gen Z, who are always like the really young ones in our mind, you know, are almost 25 years old now. Like these are two very uh, powerful generations. Like millennials and Gen Z aren't just young kids, young college kids anymore or something. These are two society shaping generations and their experience on church staff and in leadership is different. And what they need from those leading them is different. I'll add one more thing. What defines millennials was access to the internet at an early age. So I remember in junior high going to my first computer lab at a church, at a, at a school because we had to like go to the computer lab to get access to the internet back in the dark ages. Um, and my first website I went to was yahoo.com, you know, and, and, uh, searched up whatever we thought to search up back in the day. Um, and, but that's what marked millennials was, I don't remember um, young adult life teenage life without the internet. Well, what marks Gen Z was access to social media at those ages. Like you, I think you would say you probably don't remember life without knowing what everyone around you is doing at every moment, which I remember that day. I remember not knowing, like we actually had to get together and talk to know these things. And now we don't have to anymore, you know, kind of a thing. So I just want to have this conversation and speak to Gen Z leaders themselves, as well as to pastors or people that uh, lead Gen Z. So how is the game changing for you as a Gen Z leader? How, what is leadership looking like for you and how do you feel like the game is changing for you? Man, I think Gen Z, um, man, I, I love Gen Z first off. Let me say that. I think that they are incredible. Um, and, and I love millennials too. I think millennials got for just uh, such a long time drugged through the mud a little bit, but I, I think both I agree, generations- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they're both incredible. And I think that there are a lot of a lot of similarities, but there's some huge differences too. Um, I think Gen Z with it hasn't just been like the social media like generation, but it's also been the generation of convenience um, as far as what's been offered to them. Not not that they're uh, conven- convenient seekers by any means, but but everything, you know, it's the um, it's the Netflix generation of like, I watch what I want and you know, I have all these different options. I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it on my time, you know, work from home. If you want to, you know, do pursue the life that you want, all of these options, they're just thrown at generation Z. And something that I've noticed is that generation Z really wants to be challenged they really want to be challenged. And I think a part of that has to do with the convenience aspect of it. Everything is so convenient and been offered to them that I think Generation Z, more than any other generation, wants you to challenge them. Um, and so my kind of uh, stance on this is that the church cannot offer convenience to a generation that gets it everywhere else. Right. Like, like the lie that I think the church is believing is that if we're going to reach Gen Z, we have to do what everyone else is doing and make it really convenient for them to follow Jesus, which we know following Jesus is not always the most convenient thing. And so the response that I've seen in the past year, two years, uh, is that our greatest Generation Z leaders at our church, at our ministry, are not the ones who we kind of tiptoed into the water. They're the ones that we just came out and challenged and said, hey, you're better than this. Hey, I want you to actually lead. Hey, I want you to actually disciple other people and not just show up on a Sunday. And um, we've seen Generation Z take that and run with it. They want to be challenged. Really well said. and. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think millennials also got touched with the convenience thing. 
but we grew into it, especially, you know, I remember life before Uber, but now I've lived with Uber for a while, you know, and I remember life before Amazon Prime, but now I've lived with it for a while. So definitely kind of a hybrid on that. But I love I I love counterculture thinking and counterculture leadership. So in in a era of convenience, we go for the challenge. In fact, I, I really believe the church has a deep end problem, not a shallow end problem anyways, you know, that, that we don't know how to lead people into the deep end, but that's for another conversation. Um, I feel like one of the things that shaped Gen Z is the access to on-demand content. So, and I guess let me explain for a second. I remember a day, <laughs> I sound so old with this conversation. I remember a day where you had to watch television at a certain time on a certain channel to get the content you wanted, or you had to like VCR tape it, which was just a horrible experience, mind you, just, just archaic. And it was archaic when it was modern, you know, it was just terrible. Um, And then of course, TiVo, DVR started to change the game. And then of course, Netflix on demand. But to me, one of the markers of Gen Z is that from the beginning of young adulthood, you know, teenage years is that content has always been on demand. Like this generation does not know content before Netflix, YouTube and on demand culture. So how, to me, that's a little bit of a problem for the local church because we're so used to everyone being in the room on a Sunday morning, you know, and COVID has pretty much shown us that there's options to change all that. And so to, to, to me, that's an interesting aspect of Gen Z, I guess, is that they view content as on demand. I guess, do you have any thoughts on that? And how is on the on demand thing shaping young leaders and church culture for them today? Yeah. You know, when, when the, uh, I love this, this like, gets me so excited because when coronavirus hit, I think churches, like we all thought, oh, this will be awesome for our millennial and Gen Z um, members because they're online anyways. And what we've seen, like studies repeatedly show they're not watching church. Like, Like Gen Z millennials are not about it. And I think there's a lot that goes into that. One of the things that I think is there is that um, the church is just not for the most part, producing content that is as good or effective as the world is in those spaces. Um, But to me, it really fires me up and gets me excited because yes, I want to use online. I want to use those spaces effectively. I want to use content effectively and make it available, but it strengthens my thoughts and ideas that a in-person intimate connection is undefeated um, and that the church needs to double down on that. And um, I've seen that throughout this quarantine. I have a a brother-in-law who's in high school. So he's a Gen Z through and through. He's a senior in high school. And we were over at their house a couple months ago. And um, I was really excited because I was going to be speaking at this conference uh, with online with a, um, with a really well-known speaker to my generation, someone that if I said his name, you know, everyone my age and up would be like, Oh yeah, you know, I love, I love listening to him preach. What, what an awesome communicator. And my brother-in-law, his name's Warner, um, 17 years old. I said, I said, Warner, um, I got this link to this awesome conference I'm, I'm going to be a part of. And, and so-and-so is speaking at it. You know, would you want to, would you want to hop on there? And he looked at me and he goes, who? <laughs> and, and I was like, well, so-and-so, you know, and I, I said the name again and, and he said, I don't know who that is. And I think that that really shows me that this next generation, like they are not impressed at all by the programming, by the name, by any of those things. They just want someone who cares and they want a real community because everything that they're doing is so, um, anti-community. You can literally live your whole life in 2020 without anybody else around. And we're just not wired to do that. And so even though the world is saying you're wired to do this, you can do everything on your own. You've got all of these tools and all of this entertainment and just spend all day at home and make money and, and do life through social media. That's where community is. Um, the church's counter has got to be discipleship. It's got to be in-person community. And I think if we're willing to do that, we're going to see that Generation Z, millennials included, are going to respond to that in a really, really overwhelming way. Couldn't agree with you more. And I love um, 
I love what you're bringing up just about the unimpressed by the name. I mean, I know you, you wrote your book, Viral Jesus. I know you agree with this, but I just, I sense with the younger we go with leaders, I, I just feel like they want to fall more in love with the name of Jesus, not the name of a, of a personality. And, and, and yet there are some, some leaders that are very respected by, um, by Gen Z. And it's, it's not to say that that doesn't happen. I've actually been pretty impressed that there's some, there's a couple, you know, leaders that, you know, throw up some stuff on TikTok or whatever. And, and, you know, I, and actually get like traction and I, I find that amazing. It's not normal. I don't think most people probably could get a lot of traction if you're like over 40 or something on TikTok, maybe just stay away. But, um, you know, I find it interesting that I see a lot of shares and, and likes by, by, you know, Craig Rochelle on, yeah. on TikTok or something, but that's because I think there's an authenticity about it and, and a humility of just about making Jesus big. And that seems to resonate and cross over generational barriers a lot right now, rather than maybe a, a personal brand or something like that. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and I think something that we're finding with people like Craig Rochelle is like the, the content that they're producing is is effective, not just because of the message that they're sharing, but the way that they're doing it, they're not doing it the way that we even did it a year ago. Um, and that's something that comes up in conversations. I know it probably does with you too, with, with leaders now is they're like, man, I just feel like I'm, I'm missing it. I had a conversation with a, a really good friend of mine, um, a few weeks ago, who's a pastor who's about around 40 years old. And he said, I just feel like I'm losing touch with what the next generation wants to hear on Sundays. And, um, you know, one of the greatest things that has happened to me is my, uh, discover of YouTube. If you're a communicator of any kind, I would highly encourage you to go watch what generation Z is watching on YouTube. Because if you try to preach like we're in 2010 to a 2020 audience, it is, it is going to, it doesn't matter how good your sermon is. If they're not listening at minute 10, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so I think what we're seeing with Craig Rochelle is he's taken the message and he's changed the method, right? That whole thing. But what he's done is he's made his content something that grabs people's attention in the next generation. And I think that's something that as leaders, we have to constantly be asking ourselves is how do we get our content to grab people's attention in this next generation? And it's always changing. So it's exciting. It's fun. It doesn't need to be looked at as something that is intimidating. I think we should be excited about it because it brings new opportunity. Really good. Really good. As a Gen Z leader yourself, of course, we're both tweeners or whatever they're called, you know, but as a Gen Z, speak, speak on behalf of Gen Z for a second. What are you looking for from the leaders in your life? How do you want to be led? Yeah, I think I want to be held accountable. Um, that That's a big one. Um, I think a lot of Generation Z members who... Uh, have any type of influence, whether it's, you know, online, offline, whatever. I think a lot of times they're just kind of seen as like, oh, they're, you know, they're doing really well or like they're, they're, they're running hard and there's not much accountability from, from older leaders. Just like, man, awesome job. It's a lot of encouragement, but like, like the beginning of this conversation, we want to be challenged. Um, I want to get to, uh, be where Brandon Stewart is, not be a product of burnout or, or, or losing the way. And that's only going to happen from being challenged. It's only going to be happen. One of the, one of the things that I've brought up several times in our offline conversations, and um, I hope it's okay for me to share this is uh, when we first got to know each other, what stuck out to me so much about you is that you were willing to challenge me and literally like we're in the airport, you know, we'd only hung out one time before that and we're talking and instead of just kind of clapping your hands, um, at what I was doing or what I was a part of, you pushed back and you were like questioning different things, not in a, not in like a condescending way, but in a really like 
trying to get the most out of me kind of way, trying to make sure that what I'm doing is, is going to return the fruit that I was wanting. And um, man, that's made me just want, I want to be in the room with you. I want to have conversations with you. And so if there's any leaders listening and you're like, man, I want more, I want younger leaders to be a part of what I'm doing, man, challenge your younger leaders because it's going to make you want to be, it's going to make them want to be around you to learn from you so much more. We're craving that so much. Is it fair to say, and thank you for saying that, by the way, I learned to challenge people from my Enneagram 8 pastor myself. (laughs) He who is challenged will himself challenge others, maybe is how the saying goes. Um, Is it safe to say that one of the biggest things the next generation of leaders is looking for is fatherhood? Absolutely. And when I, I gave my life to Jesus kind of late in the game, I'm 25 now, um, gave my life to Jesus when I turned 21. And, and I remember, um, the, the pastor of the church I was attending telling me that it was so important for me to have mentors and, and have, uh, you know, spiritual fathers. And when he said that, I kind of pictured like, Oh, well, my dad is this amazing follower of Jesus. He's a pastor, you know, he'll, he'll be that for me and what I'm learning. And he absolutely is by far like the biggest influence on my life. Um, but what I'm learning is that you can have spiritual fathers in so many different areas of your life. And, um, it's really cool because I learn all about being a husband and a pastor from my dad, but there are a lot of other things that I'm learning from different spiritual fathers. And so, um, I, I would say to generation Z, don't be afraid to have more than one. And I would say to the older generation listening to this podcast, don't be afraid to try to become a spiritual father to someone who you might already think has one, because chances are they could use more than one. Really good. Really good. Noah. Um, last thing we'll talk about here quick, but it's maybe one of the most important and things I wanted to get to today. Um, mental health among young leaders is a big concern of mine. Um, I work with leaders of all ages. And and when you coach leaders, it's often to talk to people who are experiencing burnout and such. I mean, people only go to the doctor when they're sick. You know, you don't go to the doctor when you're well. So as a coach, you get a lot of that. But um, what is concerning me is I'm hearing it younger and younger. I'm hearing about burnout from people in their early 20s. I'm seeing people in their early to mid 20s leave ministry and be done with it. And this is not me predicting decline. This is me just kind of going into the tension. I don't remember being in my early 20s experiencing that. And yet I don't fault people for experiencing that. I think there's a very, there's some new dynamics going on and it concerns me. I also read recently where millennia, I'm sorry, Gen Z are aware even of the potential of where some of the mental health challenges are coming from, a lot from their phone, a lot from the things we have access to, but almost the idea of like, I know where it's coming from, but my phone's too good to give up, you know, and that, that just concerns me. So I guess with, with mental health, how are you finding, and you write about this in your book, Viral Jesus, how are you finding your way through digital distraction digital comparison, you know, to a place of mental health as a leader and and what can young leaders be doing to um, really foster their own mental health as leaders in this climate, in this season right now? Man, I I love um, this subject because I think it's, it's one of the most important things that we could be talking about. And, um, I totally 100% believe that the greatest threat to us spiritually in the age that we live in is our iPhone. Um, I, I really do believe it. Uh, you know, I think digital di- digital distraction leads to spiritual disconnection, and um, we are extremely digi- digitally distracted. Um, something that I have noticed a correlation between is the less time I'm on my phone, the more I hear God. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. Um, I hear a lot of people say, uh, you know, well, I have to use my phone for work or I have to use my phone for whatever. And I totally get that. I, I'm, I'm in that boat with you. But 
I have to use my phone. It doesn't have to use me. And I think that that is the really gray area. Um, I've, my wife and I, we've put up some serious guardrails with our phone, uh, where before it was like, you know, if I get a notification, I'm going to check it right away and, and I'm going to be on it off and on all day. And we just can't trust ourselves to, to live our lives like that. Like there's just, maybe there's some stronger people than us, but what that leads to is a five hour a day screen time and, you know, missing out on life, um, to keep up with everyone else's. And, and we just refuse to, um, to participate in that. And so, uh, we challenged ourselves to spend two hours a day or less on our screen time. Um, you know, we, we've set up certain times a day that we're going to be on our phones to, to be very intentional about when we use it, why we use it, stuff like that. But I think like with the burnout thing, I think that the phone is a part of that. I think like, like, um, being disciplined with the way we use our phone is a huge part of that. But I think an even bigger part of that for leaders, those of us who are leaders in the church, outside the church, is the way that we approach following Jesus has everything to do with whether we finish the race or not. Um, and I think a big problem that I have personally is that I want to be Jesus's employee of the month so bad. Like, like I have fallen in love with working for God. And what that looks like is like, I'm involved with so many like things that I think are building the kingdom of God. And I know that they're, they're being used by God. And, and I'm like, man, this is, this is so of God, but, but is it of God if it becomes an idol above God himself? And, and I just don't think it is. I think that so many things for God become idols in our lives because we prioritize them over actually being with God. Um, you know, what this looks like very practically and what it has looked like in my life is not having a Sabbath, you know, thinking, man, I could become employee of the month if, if I would just work an extra day, you know? And so some things that um, my wife, Maddie and I have real, and man, so much of this changed when I got married because before I got married, I was just running, running, running. And then I, I got married and Jesus has spoke to me more through my marriage than I think he has in any other, um, area of my life. And my wife was like, Hey, like, when do you Sabbath if you preach on Sundays? And I was like, Oh, you know, like throughout the week, you know, I just like find moments <laughs> to Sabbath. And she's like, no, you don't like, I've seen you like, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna crash and burn. And so, um, I think that burnout happens a lot of times simply by spending more time working for God than being with God. And so um, Sabbath has been a part of the restoration process in my life, um, learning to control the phone. I'm rambling, but I'm, I'm excited about this because I think that there's a lot that goes into it and a lot that um, we, can, we can talk about. You know, I felt God... Um impress on me a while back. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but impress on me that what if, what if like on a ministry trip for me, what if the best moments, um, will never show up on Instagram. And, and even my, I think my personal challenge that I, I try to live by is that I want 50% of my life and my ministry to never see the light of day on social media. I want to have a way deeper well than anybody knows. I want to be surprisingly deep. And if that sacrifices some of that, then so be it. Because, you know, I'm not going to be held accountable in heaven for Instagram followers. You know, I'm going to be held accountable for making the most. And so I've, I've actually felt God use me the most sometimes in just a one-on-one -on -one conversation that I would have normally overlooked if I was checking my phone, but because I was present, Jesus was there. And so I just couldn't agree with you more. One practical thing I'll throw out, maybe you have an, a practical tip yourself, but one practical thing my wife and I do really helps us is we have all social media notifications turned off on our phones. Social media is something we go to. It does not come to us. I, I am not interrupted in any conversation, any teaching environment, any moment of the day by social media. I have to choose to go to it. And that's really helped us anyways, to just not get the pop-up banner. Mm. 
It's huge. It's huge because because you'll just you know I, I'm too weak to get the pop up banner, Brandon. I'm too weak. I will open the pop up banner and and I'll look up 25 minutes later in 14 rabbit holes, and I've just completely missed out on what what's going on in my life. Um, uh, one practical thing that um, Maddie and I do, and this this is more towards um, Sabbath than phone, but. Um, every week we we typically Sabbath on Fridays unless there's some reason we have to switch it to Saturdays. But um, instead of us approaching Sabbath as this thing where we're just going to be like lazy and like sleep in and like, um, you know, do nothing or, or whatever, like that doesn't actually give us rest at all, which um, I think sometimes we have this misconception of what, what Sabbath is supposed to be. We fill up our Fridays with everything that makes us happy, that gives us pleasure. So um, a lot of times physically, we're more exhausted on Fridays than we are the rest of the week, but our our soul is so much better. So like fr- almost every Friday, I wake up early, I play golf with my dad. Um, we have date night on Friday night. Uh, this past Friday, we went to Hobby Lobby and spent like, all of our money on fall decorations, but like we, we get in the bed at the end of the day and like, we're exhausted because we had this like full Friday and, but, but like our souls were so at peace because we got to spend time doing the things that we love with the people that we love. And so, um, I would just encourage those of you listening to approach your Sabbath as like a day that you're supposed to enjoy instead of like watch pass by, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's so good. And I was going to ask you before God and before man uh, today, if um, you enjoyed your trip to Hobby Lobby to get fall <laughs> decorations. I, I doubt Maddie's listening this far into the episode. Maybe she is. I don't know. But I just figured you could have a moment of honesty and vulnerability with us. You know, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, I, I have a feeling she is listening and um, Hobby Lobby was incredible. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> okay, we'll, leave, we'll, we'll go with that. Well, hey, man, uh, listen, I, I love you a lot. Um, thank you for being my friend. Um, I'm, I'm still trying to get, so I have a level of friendship that's very exclusive in my life. And, and there's only a few people in my life that are like this. And it's the friends that you answer FaceTime for without being notified in advance. And I only have a few of them, maybe like on one hand, certainly not more than two hands worth the fingers of friends that are on that. And I, I, I have this, um, deep desire to have that level of friendship with Noah Heron and it's not happened yet. Um, I've tried a couple times and kind of got, got shot. I shot my shot, you know, for friendship and it didn't happen. And maybe one day it will. Um, but I, 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 I do, I, I love you random FaceTime amounts, uh, and think, think you're really great and, and really love more than that. Um, what God is doing in your life. We're huge fans and I want to do everything we can to encourage you and fuel you and everything God's doing in you. Man, the feeling's mutual, man. And um, even though it hasn't happened yet, it doesn't mean that the same level of love is not for you. Uh, I'm just following my own advice of, of only looking at the phone certain times of the day. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying is all. We'll, we'll, one day, I am, I am relentless, okay? So, <laughs> it's so. going to happen. Hey, man, well, thanks for some time today. And last question for you, 10 seconds. What's your greatest prayer for the local church in this season moving forward? Oh, man, that we would see... Um, we would see disciples raised up who make disciples who make disciples. Amen. Love it. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. Well, Leading Second, we love you. Uh, we consider it such an honor to be in your world every single week. And I hope this conversation today with Noah has helped you uh, just to have an eternal perspective and to lead well for our generation. And in fact, if this podcast has resonated with you, I want to encourage you to help us out by becoming a podcast ambassador. Why don't you go ahead and click the subscribe button, however you're listening to this today. Uh, Share this podcast with someone on your team or someone who doesn't know about it, or even consider leaving us a rating or a comment. We would love to hear from you. We'd appreciate the help in getting the word out. We just want to do everything we can in this season that the church would be stronger, healthier, better, and that um, we would truly see the kingdom of God come in our generation. So leading second, we love you. We're standing with you. We're praying for you today. Until next time, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together.
For more information, you can go to leadingsecond.com and find our digital magazine. You can also follow us on Instagram at leadingsecond to keep up with our community of uncommon church builders. 